Hi, this is Tom Compton. You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's podcast, WHTT Speaks Out, we've got a special guest that's joining us today. It's Mark Glenn. And he's he's a actually a longtime friend of uh, We Hold These Truths. I met Mark five years ago, over five years ago in Baltimore. He was invited, as was Chuck Carlson, to an Islamic peace conference in Baltimore. And it was very significant because former Attorney General Ramsey Clark also spoke. And he's an outspoken critic of, of our serial wars. And so it was It was uh, a pleasure to hear Ramsey Clark and to meet Mark Glenn. He's an active blogger. He's an author. We'll talk about this today. And what happened that kind of reconnected us with Mark at a recent conference, the Muslim Student Association had a conference in Denver. And Chuck Carlson from We Hold These Truths was invited to speak, and so was Mark. And we're going to find out a little bit about what went on at the conference and a little background uh, on Mark. And welcome, Mark, to, to our program. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's an honor being here with you, and it's an honor to once again reconnect with uh, Chuck Carlson, who has been very instrumental in helping me to kind of align my thoughts and my ideas. Uh, I, as I like to point out whenever I introduce Chuck, he's the very first person who bought the first copies of my very first book. And I I distinctly remember the day getting a check in the mail. I think it was for $20 for two copies of the book. And I I rushed home and, you know, showed it to my wife. And I said, look, you know, we we sold two books. And she said, great, you only have to sell now about another $1,000 for us to break even. (laughs) So so nevertheless, uh, it uh, it still was a great moment uh, in my life when I actually saw somebody take an interest in what I was doing, and it was none other than Chuck Carlson. Well, great. Now, I want to just cover before we start in here, uh, I want to just mention a little bit about, and you guys can expand on it. We've got Chuck Carlson online, too, but this Muslim Student Association had a three-day event. I guess it started actually on Thursday, so it was Thursday through Sunday, and there were prayer sessions, and two of the sessions, they had breakout uh, sessions, Mark's topic was the Messiah from the view of other faiths, Christian, Jewish, etc. And then Chuck's talk was on Christian Zionism, the tragedy and turnings. Chuck showed the video and talked about that. And so maybe I'll start out, well, how did you get invited to this conference, Mark? I think it's quite an honor that here you as a Christian are invited to a a Muslim conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, this is the third uh, year in a row that I have been invited to to speak at it. Uh, the first two they held in Houston, and I had been invited uh, because of my friendship with uh, Muhammad Al Asi, who was there uh, as well in Denver last weekend. And uh, he's he and I more or less see eye to eye on this business of uh, working together in defeating this uh, common enemy that we have. He comes from a Lebanese-Syrian background. In fact, 
the first time that I met uh, Muhammad, he flew out specifically here to Idaho to meet me. And as I used in my discussion in Denver last weekend, uh, he brought me a, a little religious souvenir that he had actually brought with him back from Cana, the city uh, in Lebanon where Jesus uh, performed his first miracle of changing water into wine. And so when Muhammad came out to visit me the first time, he handed me this gift knowing that my uh, mother's side of the family is Lebanese and, and that I am a Christian. And, you know, I use this as something of a, of a prop in making my point at this conference, which is that, you know, I've never received anything like this from a Jew. Okay, I've never received a gift. I've never even received any complimentary words about Jesus Christ from somebody uh, from the Jewish side of the uh, aisle. Uh, however, the number of compliments and well wishes that I have received from the Muslim side of the aisle for Jesus Christ, for my Christian sentiments, uh, are too numerous to count. And the reason for that is quite simple, which is that the Muslims, even though they take a, a slightly different uh, view of Jesus Christ than Christians do, they they don't see Jesus Christ as the Son of God, even though they do believe that he was miraculously, that Mary, his mother, conceived him through uh, supernatural means, as Christians do. Uh, nevertheless, even though they don't necessarily believe that Jesus is the Son of God, nevertheless, they hold him to be uh, a great prophet. In fact, depending on which Muslim you're talking to, some of them hold him to be the very highest prophet. And it is within the uh, Islamic religion that the Muslims are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ, just as Christians are. Uh, specifically, the return of Jesus Christ to do battle against the Antichrist. So, this year's conference was dedicated to that theme, which is the return of Jesus Christ. And what would be a better way to have this discussion than to have Christians and Muslims joining together and uh, finding common ground uh, on this issue. You know, and, I, and I'll just say one more thing in, in closing my remarks. You know, when I was asked to go to this conference uh, about a month ago, uh, and it was pointed out to me, they, you know, they, they said, well, you know, this is going to be during Christmas. Maybe you don't want to be away from your family. And I said, no, I need to be there. I need to be at this thing because I need to be around people who do share my values. Now, certainly you would think that going to church, that you, you know, a Christian church, that you would find people who share your values. But this is not necessarily true, depending on what church you go to. Uh, what you are running into are people who either are outward supporters of uh, Israel, of the serial wars going on in the Middle East, or else they simply don't care. And I can't, I cannot count myself as a Christian uh, to be in good company with people who hold to ideas such as this. And so it was for this reason, uh, obviously, that I, uh, I felt very welcome and very much at home amongst uh, the, the Muslims uh, last weekend. Well, that's great because it's so common in the evangelical Christian world that they love to hate the Muslims and fear them. And, and so I've been a recipient of a number of very hateful emails towards Muslims from my, what I call my bloodthirsty brothers in Christ that, uh, you know, there seems to be 
more in common here than with people that revile Jesus and call him all kinds of names. So it's, it's very interesting and very encouraging. And the fact that you can talk about Jesus and the fact that they had a, your specific talk about the beliefs of Jesus from other uh, religions is quite amazing. I think people might be surprised to find that the Muslim community is a lot more open than we think. And unfortunately, they have differences. One of the uh, things, I don't know if you got to go to it, but there was um, one of the sessions at this uh, Muslim Student Association was the disunity among the, the Muslims. And so they even recognize that there is a disunity. And when they follow what's taught in the Quran, just as if we follow what Jesus taught, we wouldn't be having these problems. We see fighting among, among people, and we know that many of the reactions, of course, uh, in the Muslim world are caused by what the United States has done. Ron Paul has talked about over and over the phenomena of blowback, what actions being done by the U.S. are resulting in reactions from the Muslim world. Why don't we, uh, also one of the things we wanted to talk about, uh, Chuck was very impressed by your questions. You sat in on his presentation. Well, uh, during the question and answer uh, session, uh, after Chuck's uh, excellent presentation, uh, I posed a what I consider to be uh, something of a controversial uh, question. And the reason that it's controversial is because uh, it really is something of a taboo within uh, Christian and Jewish circles that you just simply don't talk about uh, this particular aspect. And what I did during the question and answer session is that I read uh, from a few passages of the Old Testament. And uh, they were only a few, actually, but uh, I I picked these uh, specifically because these particular passages from the Old Testament really do underscore why we have this uh, situation in the Middle East, uh, and particularly all the violence that surrounds it. And the, the first one that I read comes out of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 20, and it says, For in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God gives you for an inheritance shall save nothing alive that breathes. And then I read from uh, the book of Deuteronomy again, uh, chapter 7, and I said, When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are to possess and casts out the many peoples living here, shall then slaughter them all and utterly destroy them. You shall make no agreements with them, nor show them any mercy. You shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire, for you are a holy people unto the Lord thy God, and he has chosen you to be a special people above all others on the face of the earth. Now, you know, I, I will admit that, you know, as a Christian, it took me uh, a good 45 years to see that, uh, that there was a problem with this. Okay? As a Christian, how do I believe in the things of Jesus Christ and follow this man who we refer to uh, as the Prince of Peace How do we reconcile these teachings in the book of Deuteronomy, and not just Deuteronomy, but really throughout the Old Testament, that basically is a manual for war, it's a manual for genocide, mass murder, 
this particular passage that I read from the book of Deuteronomy basically is the, the schedule. It is the, the justification for Zionism and everything that has taken place in the Middle East now during uh, the last hundred years. And there is no way, there is no way for us as honest, intelligent people who are studying this situation and hopefully working towards some type of sane, rational, and moral way of dealing with this situation and that we leave this out of the equation. You know, as I tell my listeners often, is like, you know, we're going to have this symposium on lung cancer, but we're not going to talk about cigarette smoking. And I'm not picking on smokers. Don't anybody, you know, read into that that I'm, you know, I'm just using this as an example. Uh, Judaism, in particular Old Testament Judaism, this I think is a fallacy that many uh, well-intentioned Christians uh, who are working for justice in the Middle East, I think that this is a trap that they fall into where they say, oh, well, you know, the problem is with the Talmud. You know, the, the, the Old Testament, that's the, that's the Word of God, and that's the Book of God. Uh, and, you know, if the Jews today would just follow uh, the teachings of their Old Testament, well, then we wouldn't have these uh, problems. And I say, excuse me, <laughs> wait a minute. They are following the teachings of the Old Testament literally word for word. They are going into these cities and they are slaughtering everything, leaving nothing alive that breathes. They're making no agreements. They are showing no mercy. They are destroying altars. They are cutting down groves. All of the things that they are exhorted to do within the pages of the Old Testament is exactly what they're doing. You see, and in this regard, this is why they can look in the mirror every day and they can feel justified in doing what they do, whether it is slaughters at Deir Yassin or Sabra and Shatila, or whether it's maneuvering the United States to go into Iraq and to kill several million innocent people, or whether it is the slaughter in Libya or the slaughter in Syria, or the slaughter that they would like to see take place in Iran. They can go to bed every night feeling justified that they have done the right thing, because this is what their religion teaches. So, at the conference with Chuck, I posed this question to him, and to be honest, I was expecting to get something of a... Um, well, I wasn't expecting the answer that I got from Chuck. I was expecting Chuck to say the usual line that I hear from people, which is, well, you know, let's not equate the Old Testament here with the Talmud. The Talmud is what drives this, this fanatical, anti-Gentile uh, bloodthirstiness uh, amongst, uh, you know, Israel and her supporters. And to my surprise, and really to my great uh, relief, Chuck agreed, and he said, absolutely, we as Christians, we have no place for these kinds of teachings uh, alongside the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so I was, uh, like I said, not only was I surprised, but I was relieved to hear that. And uh, I think that for us as Christians, and really for all intents and purposes, all people of good who are seeking to bring an end to this suffering, this is the place where we have to go, okay? It's not enough to simply condemn the behavior. We have to get to the source of the problem. You know, if, if everybody in a particular town 
is coming down with some sickness. Okay, and everything traces back to the town's water source. Okay, then that means we have to go to that water source and we have to test the water and find out if indeed there's something in it that's making people sick. Okay, otherwise there's no reason for us to be involved in this. We can we can protest uh, against the violence and the injustice for the next thousand years, but until we go to the source of the problem, which is the the genocidal tenets contained within Judaism, going all the way back to the beginning, until we deal with this in a rational, sane, moral way, uh, I do believe that we're going to be seeing this kind of bloodshed taking place, as I said, literally for the next thousand years. That's so well said, Mark, and the, the fact that we've got 40 to 70 million American Christians who basically reinforce that that belief of the Old Testament, who, who use the Old Testament as a justification for these wars. And most Christians believe that the Old Testament has to be looked through the lens of the New Testament. So the events from the Old Testament, of course, point to the cross and the death of Jesus on the cross and our salvation there. And so the equation gets cut in half, really, where they use, and these are very learned people that, you know, theologians that can justify these wars. We've seen it uh, for the war in Iraq, where you had Richard Land, head of the Southern Baptist, their lobbying group, that actually wrote a letter to George Bush saying, this is before we went into the Gulf War in 2003, that a war action would be justified, and they use it, the basis was the Old Testament, not what Jesus taught us. Mm -hmm. So you're really hitting the nail on the head there, Mark. Well, can I, can I just say something else, Tom, and I, I apologize for, for hogging the discussion here. Um, no, and I'm going to say something that is probably going to be equally controversial, if not more, okay? And understand what I'm about to say. I'm saying this as somebody who was baptized into the Christian faith, who spent uh, 12 years going through a Christian education, uh, who, who at least has tried to lead a Christian life. You know, I, I've been married for 23 years. We have 10 children. You know, I, I do my best to be a good Christian, okay? Nevertheless, you know, this was something that hit me this past Easter as I was doing my radio program. And, you know, for me, it has become crystal clear, okay, that, you know, Jesus Christ and what ultimately led to the Jews dealing with him in the way that they did, it was not just this spiritual battle that was taking place. It was hardcore politics, okay? Jesus came along and he wanted absolutely nothing to do with all of this Old Testament genocidal supremacist, narcissistic, thieving, you know, I mean, when Jesus was casting his curses upon the Pharisees, you know, and, and when he said, and, and, you know, we spend, we as Christians have spent far too little time considering these things. But when, you know, one of the last things he said, he said, you know, you, you whited sepulchers, you know, 
you you travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and once you've got him into your clutches, you turn him twice as much into a son of hell as you are. He said, how will you escape going to hell? You children of the devil, you brood of vipers, how will you escape going to hell? Now, I don't think that Jesus was, was being rhetorical and asking that question. I think that he was telling everybody that these people are organically evil, the, the, the Jewish leadership, and the garbage that they were peddling as a religion, that there was nothing godly about it whatsoever. It was rotten to the core from A to Z, to, from Alpha to Omega. Okay. Now, the Christian narrative on things, and this is this going back to what I was saying before about uh, this past Good Friday, because as a Catholic, you know, Good Friday uh, is a very, very uh, solemn and a very uh, holy day for us, as it is for all Christians. But, but we do have these rituals that we go through, one of which is that, um, you know, between the hours of 12 and 3 in the afternoon, nobody speaks. Everybody maintains uh, silence out of respect uh, in memory of the three hours that Jesus was hanging on the cross. So when I did my radio program... After that Easter weekend, you know, I, I recounted one of the things that I, I do on Good Friday is that I rebroadcast a reading of the Passion from the Bible that recounts everything that Jesus went through beginning uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane and then uh, it ending up with obviously his, his crucifixion. And Monday, the Monday following that Friday, you know, what I told my listeners, as I said, the passion is only read one day out of the year on Good Friday. Imagine if the passion were read instead of one day out of 365 days a year, which by my math is less than one-third of one percent. Imagine if it were read every week as a reminder to Christians about the nature of the conflict that exists between them and Judaism. Okay? Instead of just one day a year, imagine if it were one day a week. And so, what I tell people now, and here's where it's going to get controversial, is that where the Christian world failed is that it spiritualized the conflict that existed between Jesus and the Jewish religious leadership. It spiritualized it and completely denuded it of its important political properties. All right, there was a political struggle going on there. Okay? And for those who say, oh, no, that's not the way it is. Jesus wasn't a politician. Uh, excuse me. Jesus was a politician. Okay, We refer to him as the Prince of Peace. He talked about the Kingdom of Heaven. These are political terms. Okay, And he wanted to see his ideas ruling in the hearts and minds of men. And he had political opponents. Now, here is where we failed as a civilization. Is that instead of focusing or at least putting a little bit more emphasis and understanding on the political dynamics of what was going on between Jesus and his enemies, and instead spiritualizing this and saying, oh, Jesus came to die for our sins, and, and blah, 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 blah. 
it completely denuded us of a proper understanding as to the fanatical hatred that our enemy has for us, has had for us now for 2,000 years. And it is this fanatical hatred for us that is driving literally uh, the, the, the possible uh, extinction of the human race right now. And so I think that it is important for us as Christians that we inject this salt, this political salt, back into the discussion. We need to start looking at Jesus, not just as the Son of Man, not just as our Savior, but rather as a politician, as a philosopher, as a teacher, as somebody who was at war with Jewish supremacism 2,000 years ago, and who is at war with, him, with, with Jewish supremacism today. And I think that if we apply this, this necessary political spice to the meal, I think it's going to give it exactly the right flavor and the right property, uh, literally to, to cure the, hang, the uh, hunger of the world. That's well said. Now, of course, we see in Judaism a, a wide range of beliefs, and most don't even believe in God. Uh, they could be considered atheists. And you have people like the Naturi Karta who are anti-Zionists who don't even think that Israel should exist as a country. So you've got a wide range of beliefs there. And so we have allies that are of the Jewish faith they're kind of in the minority and it's that's why we have to be i think careful when we uh, when we make accusations because we see so many christians turn their back on jesus so easily you know i mean we have when you point your finger at somebody you got three pointing back at you as we all know and so we've got christians who reinforce these Judaic beliefs, and they ignore the, even the opposition from people in uh, in Judaism. So, you know, we have a mixed bag, if you will, in all these religions, and uh, tolerance should be one of the things. And I think just what you've, you're demonstrating by being asked by the Muslims to speak is, is, is really a wonderful thing to happen, because so many... Christians feel like they're going to be uh, somehow tortured or something, but my experience in going to a mosque, I've been treated very, very nicely. I mean, it's just, it's a wonderful experience, and I'm sure you experience the same thing. Um, Yes, not necessarily in the mosque, but, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned the uh, meeting that we had in Baltimore. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time around the Muslims. And, uh, you know, uh, to be honest, I feel safer and more comfortable in my Christian skin around people such as them than I do around the average Christian, even my own churchgoers. You know, I mean, I, I hear from the pulpit regularly, you know, uh, some dose of the uh, you know the standard line when it comes to the wars in the Middle East, and yes. and uh, you know, and I'll, I'll just give you an example. A few months ago, there was a Catholic priest in Syria who had been captured by these uh, Syrian rebels and uh, had been uh, executed. And from the pulpit, uh, our priest 
gave, you know, a sermon where he was talking about, you know, how, you know, Christians have enemies everywhere. And there was this priest who had been killed by, quote unquote, the Muslims in Syria. You know, and I thought, I just shook my head and I said, you idiot. You know, couldn't you at least read a little bit more news so that you could contextualize this, okay? These terrorists who are operating in Syria are not Muslims, okay? They are no more Muslims than, uh, you know, some of these uh, crazy Christian cults uh, who go out and lynch black people, okay? But nevertheless, you know, I thought to myself, you know, how many 18-year-olds listening to this sermon who may have been having thoughts about whether or not they should join the military. You know, how many of them had their answers given to them because of that sermon? Okay. And, you know, personally, I would rather that he had just shut up and, and talked about something else, you know, because uh, I guarantee you he did an incredible amount of damage in making statements like that. Uh, simply because of the fact that he refuses to do his homework. And there are so many, as I said earlier, well-intentioned Christians, okay, but who have that, that mindset in the West that, you know, that they, they expect to put a little bit of effort into something and, and get these huge returns. Well, it's like that, you know, when it comes to exercising our brains. These same people who say that they, they don't trust what the media tells them, nevertheless, they go straight to that media for their information in formulating their opinions uh, on certain uh, ideas. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a very, it, it's like I tell people, Tom and Chuck and, and the others who are assembled, you know, and I said this in my speech uh, in Denver, we need to be realistic and honest with ourselves, those of us who are doing this, that we may be doing this for a long time, okay? We have an enemy here who is putting into operation plans that were laid down thousands of years ago. And as much as I hate to say it, okay, because I certainly would like to live to see the fruits of, of all the hard work that I've put into this, the possibility nevertheless is very real that we won't get to eat the fruit uh, of the seeds that we've planted. You know, we may be doing this for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, before we can finally declare ourselves cancer-free. Okay, well, why don't I want to ask our audience if we have any questions here. Okay, uh, hi, Mark. Uh, this is Craig Hansen. Question, hi. is any of your speech or what, what you gave at the conference, is that available anywhere? Uh, it will be. There's a, a website where they have posted the speeches from the last two conferences. And uh, I, I can only assume that they will they will be posting this one as well. To be honest, I, I wasn't real happy with my speech. Chuck was, I think, overly too giving in his uh, compliments. Uh, I, I felt that I, I I felt that I did not deliver the kind of speech that I wanted to. I, I don't know why. I was just kind of scatterbrained that weekend. But uh, I, I'm sure that they will. Uh, I'm sure that they will be making it available. Mark, let me say that. There's something about this conference that causes us to really tone tone down just a little bit what we say. And I thought you said the right words in the right way to satisfy the needs and understandings of the people who were there. You talked about unity. 
And you talked about common love, and you talked about Jesus being a source of love. And um, I really thought that's what the conference, the people at the conference needed. And uh, the, the ones who listened to me, there were uh, a lot of women there. A lot of, we call them, they, they're called sisters. And uh, there, were, there were probably more ladies than there were men and boys and young, young men. A lot of college students were there. I think uh, Mark and I were sort of the heavies uh, in this conference. Keep in mind, this was a very Islamic, spiritual, prayerful conference. I don't, I, I don't know when I've ever seen so much prayer, never in a Christian church. They had morning prayer. They had luncheon prayer. They had prayer before dinner, and they had prayer after the sessions. The lectures that were given by the Muslims who are present were really about living their kind of life. It was really sort of a, a, a spiritual presentation. I thought, Mark, I, I, I wonder if you agree with me. You probably were present at more of it than I was because I kind of came and went since I was living in town. And you were staying in the hotel, so you had uh, an advantage of going to the dinners, and I didn't go to the dinners because I yeah, didn't know Chuck, if I was that's right. but, but this is... This is, and this is the way that the conferences, the conferences, the previous two that I had attended, uh, they were exactly like this. And, and really, I guess that is one of the reasons why, as I said, I feel so comfortable in my Christian skin around these people is because, you know, they do believe in God. Okay, they, they really believe in God, and not just in the sense that Christians in the West do, you know, uh, a couple of times a year. In, but in the sense that Jesus Christ uh, said that we need to love God with uh, our whole heart, our whole mind, and our whole soul. And so these people, they really do live that uh, as best as they can. And, and, the, and there's something else that's worth mentioning here, and I certainly don't want to offend anybody uh, from the Sunni side of the camp here, but there seems to be uh, this very... There is this, it's something that is more particular with the Shia, and that's the, the group of people that we met with this the past weekend, Chuck. They, they are principally Iranians, they're principally Shia, uh, and this is, there is this more of a, a mystical side of Islam that you will find amongst the Shia than you will uh, amongst the Sunni. This is not to, in any way to denigrate those of the Sunni faith. No, please don't anyone misunderstand me. Uh, Michael Jones, uh, some of you, I'm, I'm sure those of you listening know who he is. He, he uh, writes uh, for Culture Wars. Ma actually, actually, he owns Culture Wars magazine. He appears on press TV a lot. And uh, he was in Iran uh, earlier or last year at this time at a conference there, and he gave a speech, and E. Michael Jones is Catholic, uh, like I am, and his speech focused on the similarities between the Catholic faith and uh, the Shia branch of Islam. And he did an excellent job uh, in pointing this out uh, in his speech. And I can tell you this, you know, as I said, having grown up Catholic, uh, that the, there is there there is this connection. There's more of a mystical side of Islam that you will find amongst the Shia than you will the Sunni, and uh, that's I think is what you were experiencing uh, that weekend that we were down there, Chuck. Is uh, that and they are very spiritual people, very gentle. I mean, that's the one word that I walk away from uh, these three conferences that I've been at is that these are the most gentle, civilized 
harmless people. I mean, it's it's just amazing after being there with them uh, for a weekend and then turning on the news and hearing how this particular group of people, these Iranian people, okay, uh, how they want to take over the world and they want to kill everybody, okay. I mean, the the, the clashing of of themes. Is so powerful after spending a weekend with people like this and then hearing what our Jewish mass media has to say about them. It really is uh, absolutely diabolical. Great. Do we have any other questions? Okay. Um, Mark, uh, one thing that uh, you mentioned when you were going over the, the passages in Deuteronomy, something I'm working on is the presuppositions of Christian Zionism. And to me, one of the foundational ones is the idea of the Bible as a flat book that you can just grab scriptures from any place, whether it be Genesis uh, 3.12 or 12.3, whatever it is, to Revelation, and they all have the same value, and not, not as a progressive revelation where Jesus being the defining moment of, of God revealing himself to mankind. And so that it's mm-hmm. this idea of a flat book that is, I'm, I'm trying to go after with the, the evangelicals, because that's, that's where I, what I see with the people in my church, is like you can grab a verse here and grab a verse there, and it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, think, I think that's a very good uh, strategy to use with them, but at the same time, uh, and, I, and I say this you know, with a certain amount of hesitation, but you know, that is the reason why I've named my website The Ugly Truth. Okay? I mean, yep. there, there's sometimes there are just things that have to be said, and I think that with Christian Zionists, I think that you're dealing with a. For, certainly, Chuck and, and others here would agree with me that it is a cult. Okay, it's not a religion; it's a cult. Uh, and I think that it's a drug for these people. I think that they. I mean, I've been around enough of them, and witnessed their behavior and the things that they say, uh, to recognize when you're dealing with somebody who's high, high as a kite, on an ideology. They love the way they feel when they have just injected this into their spiritual veins. They love this, oh. this idea of Jesus coming back and he's going he's gonna to slay these people and he's going to slay that people. Now, in that respect then, okay, it's no different than trying to have a conversation with somebody who's a drug addict or an alcoholic or, or whatever and you're trying to explain to them to say, look, that garbage that you're putting into your body, I know it makes you feel good, but it's killing you. It's destroying you. And, you know, you'd have an easier time, I think, talking the average drug addict into walking away from their drug of choice than you will in um, uh, talking the average Christian Zionist out of, their, out of their addiction. And I think that this is partly what Jesus meant when he asked out loud rhetorically, when the Son of Man returns, will he find any faith left on earth? Okay, And when he talked about the deception, and he said that the deception would be so powerful that even his own followers would be victimized by it. So we have to be practical in this. You know, this is one of the things I had intended to, to say uh, at my speech, and this is one of the reasons why I really don't feel very good about the speech I gave, because there were so many things I had intended to say and then just plain forgot. I guess I had a Chuck Carlson moment. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chuck. I had to do that. I'm, I shouldn't do that, though. You've got a nice big head of hair, and, and here I uh, start more and more every day. I'm looking more like a, a, a cue ball. But anyway, um, you know, this is why I 
rather than trying to cast pearls before swine in convincing Christian Zionists of the errors of their ways, instead what I am trying to do is to is to bring what whatever truth or wisdom I may possess to people who will appreciate it. Now, some people say, well, that's just preaching to the choir, blah, blah, blah. But I think that there's actually some benefit to that. I mean, if we can bring together a billion and a half Muslims and whatever we can find within the Christian community that, resi- that still remains, we will be a force to be reckoned with in the world, let me tell you, okay? So anyway, I don't, I, I'm sorry to be hogging the conversation here, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I, I feel like uh, uh, really... You're I not, Mark. That's why you're on. It's <laughs> <laughs> of honor today. Yes, we're so glad you could join us, Mark. And we appreciate all your comments and we appreciate all your work. It's just amazing. And God's given us all different abilities. And sometimes we think that what we do is really doesn't have an impact, but we don't know that. We're finding all these remnant, and of course we can thank the Internet. I know that your blog site, and you want to give that before we sign off here, has a lot of followers, and so we're reaching people. We reach different audiences. We're all put here for different reasons, and, you know, I think it, it, it all works. There's some synergy here that, you know, we all kind of overlap in a way in things, but we have our specialties. Uh, ours, of course, is Christian Zionism. We've challenged churches. And uh, when, you, when you mentioned, I just think of uh, Mohammed Elasi. He joined us in, in uh, Washington, D.C. when I, we were out there for Occupy APAC two years ago yeah, at one of our vigils at a huge Christian Zionist church there. And so, yeah, he's a... He's a wonderful guy. I was so pleased to, to, to meet him. Uh, you know, it was just it was an honor that he came out to stand with us in, in front of this church. So as were some other Muslims there. I'd like to add one anecdote that uh, occurred when I was making my talk. And I didn't talk much because I showed a 32-minute video, The Rich of Christian Zionism. And we did take some questions, but uh, we, we only took four or five questions, including Mark's. And one of the uh, people who came up afterwards, uh, several did, was a man uh, who was, uh, had married an American woman, and he's active in interfaith activities in Denver. So he was a good guy for me to meet, and he was glad to meet me. And uh, he said to me that I'd really struck a chord with him because he's married to this American woman and her family, he didn't know exactly how to define them how to, uh, before he heard uh, our, the program, but he said that they were Christian Zionists by definition. And he talked about how they had a close family relationship. They had a lot of, spent a lot of time together, even on uh, holidays like Christmas and New Year's. Uh, and he said that uh, it was impossible for him to talk to them about anything. Any time any of the subjects, the sensitive subjects involving the Middle East came up, Israel, Palestine, he couldn't say anything about a Jew, of course. He got a stony silence and almost uh, wrung out. So uh, he, he told me that he had this problem of Christian Zionism right within his own family. And he wanted to know, wanted to know how we were doing. And I said what Marcus just said, it's a very slow process. It's going to go on for a long time. Uh, but we are making progress here and there, and quite a few of us 
were ourselves influenced by Christian Zionism. Some of us may have been even actively involved in it at one time, but certainly under the influence of it, uh, a, a good number of the people that are active now opposing it. And I explained that to him. And so I said it is worthwhile to work on it. And he went on and talked about how uh, this total separation in the family had occurred uh, as a result of this and how he was uh, so happy really to find out how to approach it and uh, and what was causing it. He didn't know what was, he really didn't know what caused it. And uh, so that was his message right out of an Islamic conference, obviously a Muslim guy. Yeah, and if I could just say uh, one more quick thing here, and then I'll, I will shut up. Uh, as much as my comments may appear to border on uh, being uh, hopeless, I, I'm not hopeless. Obviously, I wouldn't continue doing what I'm doing if I thought it were hopeless. But, you know, I, I do think that we are having an effect out there, that there are people we may, we may never hear from them. You know, I mean, think about this, you know, all of the thousands of people who Jesus Christ touched during the three years of his ministry. And yet, you know, when he was hanging on the cross, there were only two people there with him, right? His mother and John. So out of the thousands, tens of thousands of people that he affected in some way, there were only two there with him. But now, 2,000 years later, that those two people have multiplied and multiplied and multiplied to the point now where Christians make up, uh, you know, uh, about a third of the world's population. And so I think if we take that approach to what we're doing here and understand that we really are, you know, we're trying to cure uh, the plague here. You know, we're trying to cure the plague. Uh, you know, we're, we, we will probably lose more patients than we will save, but we will save people. There's no question about that. We know that because Jesus promises the truth will set you free. And so uh, I am extremely honored and delighted to have seen over the years uh, little things that I have said or done, little seeds that I've planted. And then later, all of a sudden, you know, you walk out into your garden and uh, all of a sudden there's, there's that apple tree that you planted 10 years ago and there's a little apple on it. And so I think that these are little messages from God to tell us to keep going, you know, uh, just keep plodding ahead. You may not live to see this. You, you know, you're going to suffer horribly, just as Jesus said. You know, if they did it to me, they're going to do it to you. But uh, the the reward is that we know that by working in the service of Jesus Christ, that not only will we receive uh, our reward later, but also that other people they're going to eat from uh, the fruit of the trees that we plant. They're going, to, they're going to be sustained and nourished by that. And uh, just as Jesus uh, said, uh, one day every uh, tear will be wiped dry. Great. Thank you so much, Mark. And before we sign off here, why don't you give us your website, and I assume that people can contact you through the website. Yes. Right. The website is theuglytruth, all one word, dot wordpress, dot com. And I'll warn you, folks, <laughs> it's not it's not pretty. I deal with some very, uh, uh, you know, I mean, this is this is not for people who are the faint of heart. We take evil on, and we don't always do it politely. We try to maintain some level of decorum, but nevertheless, it's it's a very ugly battle. And, and as Benjamin Franklin said, you know, oftentimes we're in your, when you're in a low place, you have to stoop. 
Uh, and you can uh, listen to the programs that we put together. Uh, we do have a little radio network. Uh, if you simply go to that website, theuglytruth.wordpress.com, uh, and scroll down the page, you'll see uh, the various hosts who do programs on that, that network, including yours truly. Uh, and you can listen to the archives of the programs. We're, we've been up and running now for uh, just about a year and a half, and we're just about to cross over the one million mark as far as downloads. So somebody's out there listening. Wow, that's great. And thanks so much for uh, joining us, Mark, and thanks for everybody else's input. And we'll look forward to having you on again. Anytime. That's it was my cool. honor. That's- Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. And please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.